You know, guys, when you get to be our age, finding the motivation to get back in shape can be hard. It's just plain tough to find a routine and to stick with it. Good news. FitBod is a fitness app that is anything but routine. It tailors your workouts to fit your life, your goals, your gear, and even your schedule, so you can avoid burnout. And FitBod helps keep up your momentum by mixing in different exercises, reps, supersets, and circuits. Best yet, FitBod has over 1,000 demonstration videos, so you can learn the right way to do each exercise. It's time to ditch the boring routines and kickstart your fitness journey. Add FitBod to your workout essentials. Join today to get your personalized workout plan. Get 25% off your subscription or try the app for free at fitbod.me slash Zabe. That's F-I-T-B-O-D dot M-E slash Zabe. Now the mid-podcast spot break, I think we try to keep to being fairly unobtrusive. But I, I'll, I'll have to revisit that. Obviously, I want to keep the product's listenability at an industry standard or better than industry standard. But at the same time, I've finally gotten enough oomph and mass and repetition and audience where these you know, podcast commercial dollars are being delivered to us without us having to go out and hunt down advertisers. And it's a very efficient way to make this podcast worth everybody's time. People have asked, well, can't you offer a a commercial-free podcast for subscribers? And that gets tricky because then are you robbing Peter to pay Paul? Are you just taking money out of one pocket and putting it in another pocket? I don't know what to say other than become friends with the skip button. And if there's an ad for something you have not heard of, well, then listen to it and say, Scratch his chin, I might want to buy that thing or product. Okay, a couple things before we get to John Ziegler. MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred, who is the worst commissioner in sports. Uh, hold my beer, says Roger Goodell. Okay, he's tied for worst with Goodell. Apparently, he gave every major league player a brand new set of top of the line. Bose headphones with a note saying, I appreciate the hard work it takes to be a major leaguer. Please accept this gift as a small token of appreciation in light of the lockout that we just endured. 99 days in which Manfred was on the side of the owners trying to crush the union, squeeze their testicles into ballooned up grapes. Oh, that's. And then after 99 days of that, okay, here's some headphones, which you know damn well he didn't buy himself. He could for every major league player, even at $350 a pop retail retail, uh, 26-man rosters times 30 teams. Let's do the math on that. Don't try to do the math. Okay. Either way, you know he didn't pay for them because it was a corporate hook-in. You might say, hey, it's at least something. No, no, it's worth it's worse than that. This comes off as insulting. Even if you are a recently minted major leaguer, just made the bigs, and you're not making much money compared to other players in Major League Baseball, this is nothing. This is like, oh, look, a fancy little trinket. Is everything cool now? 
it's almost patronizing. Somewhere, somehow, Marvin Miller is rolling over in his grave. The father of the modern Major League Baseball union that actually caused the owners to stop being quite as predatory as they had been when it comes to labor relations. Speaking of uh, that, um, the Washington Nationals could be for sale. This is shocking. The Lerner family announced on Monday that they are open to ownership changes, structural ownership changes in the team, including a possible sale of the team. Of all the teams in Washington that many fans wanted to be up for sale, hint, it's not the baseball team. It's the football team. So we'll see what happens on that front, but that was kind of interesting. Can you yawn through your eyeballs? I was at a meeting today in Appleton, Wisconsin, at our new affiliate for my morning show out of Milwaukee, uh, The Score, 95.3 The Score in Appleton, Wisconsin, uh, part of the mighty Woodward Broadcasting Company, B.J. DeGroot, is the program director, and he made the call to go ahead and step aside and to uh, re-air my show after several years of not being in Appleton. I used to be on in Appleton as part of the Fox Sports Radio Network, and they apparently liked me in Appleton. I like Appleton. It is a lovely town just south of Green Bay, Wisconsin. Town, city. They have some industry there, although a lot of it was paper mills, and I think those have moved out, but still. Uh, it's a great place to live. One of the most livable cities in America. Appleton. Wisconsin. And I was in a meeting just to say, hey, thanks, you know, myself and program director Tim Scott drove up from Milwaukee on Monday to say hi to the crew up there and to sit in the boardroom and talk about ways we can be of help to each other and, you know, events we could do and sponsorships and ad reads and all this other stuff. And I was getting pretty tired because, well, it was a meeting and it was at one o'clock in the afternoon. And, you know, I get up tip of the spear, oh, dark 30 as most morning radio warriors do at 4.30 a.m. And so and it was driven two hours up there. And so uh, I'm pretty tired. And I'm fighting the urge to yawn because that's very rude, right? So I've got the big, like, mouth closed. And I, I don't know how I was doing this, but I kept my mouth closed. And I could swear that I was doing something physiologically And the only way my yawn could have been somehow leaving my body or coming into my body, I don't know. Does a yawn go in or out? Was through my eyeballs. Now, I'm sure people looked at me and are like, oh, boy, Zabin's about to fall asleep here. (laughs) Narcolepsy is a hell of a thing. Also, they had on their TV in the boardroom or in the meeting room a big screen on the TV, and it had, you know, welcome Steve Zabin, and it was very nice. And, but after a certain period of time, like 15, 20 minutes, it went to a screensaver. And the screensaver was not the square, like from the office scene that goes slowly, diagonally, bouncing off the sides of the TV. And then when it hits the corner perfectly and reverses, everybody in the office, yeah, because that's all they're looking at. It was even worse. The screensaver, was a screen full of animated bubbles, like soap bubbles, and they would bounce around against each other and float around on and off the screen, and they would change colors. So I'm staring at these bubbles trying to, you know, 
stay alert, not be rude, because I'm so happy to be on the station again. They're wonderful people, but I didn't want to be rude. And I'm watching the bubbles change colors. And at one point, I swear, I felt my eyes going cross-eyed. And I thought, okay, you better snap out of it because you might go face down right here in this meeting. So question, is it possible to breathe through your eyeballs? That I do not know. Okay, a couple other things, and then we'll get to John Ziegler on this Penn State stuff, a little bit of Tiger Woods and more. Chips. You want chips with that? Well, the USFL says don't mind if we do. The USFL will use first down microchip technology to determine whether a team has gained a first down or not. Hey, how about that? For the millionth time, and of course there's blogs, posts, racing, the NFL needs to do this yesterday. For the millionth time, it's not going to improve anything because the real weak link in the precision that some fans want regarding is it a first down or not involves the spot of the football. Where was your knee down? Where was your shoulder at the time you were down? Was your thigh down? Uh, Did I get a good angle on it? Were you under three people? Where was the ball? Was it up near your chin as you cradle it against your body or down near your stomach? Was there forward progress? It's a fucking guess. And there's no microchip that can determine where your knee was down at the time the microchip on the ball was across the 42-yard line or the 41-and-a-half. And the chains they use to measure first downs are absolutely accurate and way precise enough. They set the ball for the first down. The chains align themselves accordingly. They put a little toggle, a clip, right at the yard marker that is in between the two chains. So they can then take it out onto the field and say, okay, here's the toggle, put it on the 35, the 40, 45, and then pull out the chain. And that chain stretches to exactly 10 yards every single time. And the number of times in which it is so close to being a first down that you can't quite tell if the tip of the football is actually touching the pole as it goes straight up is so small, it's a rare thing when you see it. And besides, it doesn't matter. That's the thing. It doesn't matter. The chains in football are simple, but they're not inaccurate. They are basic, but they're not crude. And I would bet you there's a lot of other circumstances in which there's devices that do things, measure things, that are simple and old school, but wouldn't benefit from any amount of technology. Another example I can think of in sports is the stint meter. How do you tell how fast greens are? On the PGA Tour, they want to get a number on them. Are they rolling at 11, at 12, at 13? Well, the stimp meter invented by John Stimson, I think John Stimson, is basically a yardstick that is notched and has a place to put the ball, a notch to put the ball. It's, it's, a, it's a grooved yardstick of sorts. And you put the ball in the notch, and then you raise the yardstick slowly with one end on the green itself. And when gravity is enough to pull the ball from the notch, so you don't have to roll it, there's no bias of human hands rolling it faster or releasing it funny or putting spin on it. It's very simple. It's when gravity pulls the ball out of the notch, it then rolls down the stick and it rolls out on the green for however long it does. They take a yard, they take a measuring 
tape, and they go zzzz, 11 feet, 6 inches. Okay. Now let's go mark that spot. We're going to roll the ball the other way on the stint meter, put it on the notch, raise it up, rolls the other way, and you go bzzz, oop, 12 feet, 4 inches. They do it one more time for good measure on a flattish part of the green, and they average out the numbers, and they go boom. Greens are reading at 11, 11, inch, 11 feet, 8 inches, or 11 point, I don't know if they go point eight, but whatever. Simple device. You don't need technology. You don't need lasers. You don't need microchips. You don't need nothing. But here comes the dweebs insisting that we need this in the NFL. Curb your enthusiasm is coming back for a 12th season. God bless you, Larry David. Still damn funny. I lost the scent of the curb trail along the way. I picked it back up again. And I love it, so I'm looking forward to it. Also, Walter White and Jesse Pinkman will appear in a few episodes of the great prequel series, Better Call Saul. I would assume this is at the front end of when the two stories overlap, meaning the end of the prequel leading up to the start of Breaking Bad. I'm looking forward to see that. I I definitely have also lost the scent of Better Call Saul, but I am going to pick it up, hopefully here, on a couple more plane flights. Joel Embiid wins the scoring title in the NBA, becomes the first center since Shaquille O'Neal to claim the crown. I wonder if this will start a new, renewed surge of centers being important in the NBA. There's this tweet from Jamie Kedeney. He writes, you drink Sensibly on Saturday night at the Masters, you get up early on Sunday, 6 a.m. You fast walk to put your chair all the way down by the 12th tee. And then when Rory comes by, you don't even watch him hitting his tee shot. This guy apparently is looking not quite at his phone because phones are banned, but there's a giant finger that shows him at the moment of Rory's impact, and he's not watching the golf. Welcome to watching sports in the modern age. And then there's this from Brendan Porath. He writes, why didn't Nance say on Scheffler's winning tap-in, and next year's champion dinner has its chef? (laughs) Okay, I'll show myself out. Just because the NFL season is now firmly in the rearview mirror does not mean the Betting season is over. Oh, no, 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 no. There is still plenty of opportunities to put a little something-something on the games. The NBA, college basketball, NHL, yes, golf. No matter what tickles your fancy, there is still plenty of action to whet your appetite. But just remember, where you bet is every bit as important, if not more so, than what you're betting on. That's why I tell my friends to go to mybookie.com. Oh, but my state just approved it. There's a big DraftKings fan duel, whatever. No, 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 no. Johnny come lately's. My bookie has been ahead of the game for years now. And why does that matter? Oh, I don't know. In a million ways. Better lines, better payouts, less rules. You name it. Plus, you get a bonus with me at mybookie.ag. Use promo code ZABE, Charlie, Zulu, Alpha, Bravo, Echo, and have your deposit matched halfway up to $1,000. Now, make sure you read the rules on payouts regarding 
bonus wagering. It does require certain levels of wagering to collect your money. But if you just want to bet straight up, you don't want the deposit, you want to make a one-time bet for a million dollars, win it, and then walk away, fine. You can do that as well. That's a free cash bonus for making your deposit. Use promo code ZABE to claim the offer. Bet, win, and most importantly, get paid with my bookie today. You know, we're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't help you just hire faster. 93% of employers agree. Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. This according to a recent Indeed survey. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Zabe. Just go to Indeed.com slash Zabe right now and support the show by saying you heard about it right here on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Zabe. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, time now for one of the unfortunate minority in California, one of the men who have not lost their minds regarding COVID and everything else. He is senior mediaite columnist John Ziegler and the man who has put out an unbelievable mountain of podcast evidence in defense of the innocence of both Joe Paterno and the scandal at Penn State and Jerry Sandusky. Hello, John. How are you surviving in beautiful California? <laughs> it's never easy, but it, you know, at least the weather's pretty good. <laughs> right. The, the, the weather during this struggle is nice. Everything else is uh, quite a headache. All right. We got a lot to talk about today. Uh, there is a new volley of stuff from ESPN regarding the Joe Pa and uh, Jerry Sandusky case, which uh, you're going to have rebuttals to and, and add information to, but also... I know you're a big golfer, and I know that you are fascinated by Tiger Woods like we all are and have some thoughts on the Masters. And lastly, i got to ask you about the vaccine and athletes because we got some interesting cases going on right now on that. So shall we dig in? Let's do it. Okay. Um, what is ESPN putting out at the end of this week? Well, on Monday, they have put together a – I guess they would call it a documentary on the Joe Paterno legacy. And what's in, there's a bunch of interesting elements to this. Um, you know, they're claiming this is 10 years after the so-called Sandusky scandal, although <laughs> April 18th isn't the anniversary of anything. They have all sorts of anniversaries they could have chosen. Right. But nothing happened on April. They just decided this was the right time of year to release it. Now, what's really interesting about this is it's been in the works for a long time. And, I first became aware of it because Graham Spanier, the former president of the Penn State, who was fired in the scandal, and Gary Schultz, the former vice president of Penn State, who was also fired and indicted in the, in the scandal, and both of whom eventually went to jail for 
a couple of months for things that didn't even happen. I know them very well. They both were interviewed exclusively in my podcast with the benefit of hindsight. They told me that they had done interviews with John Barr from ESPN and that they felt really good about it, that they thought that maybe Barr was going to take a, a look at what really happened here, what didn't happen in the whole Penn State scandal, and that this might be the first time that ESPN reverses itself, at least to some extent, and is somewhat fair. Now, people who probably don't remember, ESPN drove the bus on yeah. this Penn State Paterno-Sandusky story back in November 2011. They are responsible for almost every single thing that has happened in what I very, very strongly know to be a massive, maybe unprecedented level of injustice. So with that information, and this is where things get really interesting, I contacted Jerry Sandusky. I'm in you know constant contact with him. Uh, I'm not actually allowed to visit him because of my first interview with him broke the rules of the Pennsylvania state prison system you, because I recorded it you illegally. A, to go. Yeah, you smuggled in a pen that had a recorder on it and then right. super glued it to avoid detection and then panicked because you didn't think you could crack it open once you got out. Right, the, the, the super glue dissolving liquid did not work, and I had to bust it open and spend a whole bunch of money to get the audio so I could go on the Today Show to do an interview with Matt Lauer. And this was back when I was positive that Sandusky was guilty, at least of most, if not all, of what he was accused of. Uh, over the years, I've now realized he's obviously, as insane as it sounds, obviously innocent. And so, long story short, I convinced Jerry, who didn't want to do it, to do an interview with, with John Barr under the premise that, one, he has nothing to lose at this point. Right. And two, and two, maybe, you know, they, they were going to be somewhat fair if Spanier and, and Schultz had indicated that they were going to be fair. Well, Jerry's review of the interview was a com was a complete disaster, even by his standards. And he's, as we all know from the Costa situation, Bob Costa's the infamous interview, who, by the way, I'm also in very close contact with and who was also interviewed for our podcast with the benefit of hindsight. Uh, um, even by that standards, it was terrible. And so I knew at that point, okay, Barr uh, is not a good faith actor here. And it's just a matter of how bad it's going to be. Well, they put out the trailer last week and it looked really bad. And then today, out of the blue, ESPN's what I would call their their Me Too department. I mean, it's really what it is. It's a Me Too department where they just go after every sexual abuse case that there is. Put out one of the most bizarre so-called paterno sandusky related stories I've ever seen in 10 years where they dredge up this case of a football player from 45 years ago who apparently was a serial rapist who was kicked off the football team by Paterno immediately, was prosecuted and convicted, still in prison all these years later. And I have so... No, I, I, I have no idea. I have so, no idea what the point of this was. Right. But the headline was about Joe Paterno and Jerry Sandusky and the fact that they would drop this a week before their Paterno legacy uh, film or whatever you want to call it, uh, probably a, a, a joke documentary, is not, uh, does not bode well for whether it's going to be fair or not. And here's, here's how I would describe it. Here's what ESPN is trying to do with regard to their paternal narrative. They're trying to do a, a film on how Christmas gifts get under the tree. Uh, and they're doing it from the perspective of a five-year-old, and they're unwilling to even consider the possibility That's that mom maybe, and dad. Maybe, 
maybe Santa doesn't really exist. Right. That, that's what that they, so so. And if you're doing that story on how gifts get under the Christmas tree, <laughs> and you're not willing to to even contemplate that scenario, guess what your chances are of coming up with the truth? Uh, zero. Yeah. And 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 they also don't want to go back to November 2011 and revisit their culpability in this because they were the ones that did this. They're the ones I have all the, it's a part of my documentary film, which you can see on YouTube for free called the framing of Joe Paterno. This is back when I thought Sadowski was guilty. What they did to Joe Paterno was an absolute travesty. Even the prosecutor in the case said, Frank Fina said clearly that Joe Paterno did the right thing. That he was not part of any cover up. Uh, and and he was going to be if he had not died he was going to be one of their star witnesses in the case right, right. Uh, and, and the media the media flipped the narrative frankly because i believe the prosecution was disturbed early on in those first couple of days that the media didn't even remember who jerry sandusky was that they didn't care about the case so they needed to put some gasoline on the fire and boy when they put some joe paterno gasoline on that fire it exploded yeah. like a nuclear bomb yeah John, and, yeah. and the and and it went from there. Uh, John's podcast, it's lengthy, uh, be warned, but I do recommend <laughs> it highly, especially the first four, five, six episodes, because it is a masterclass in showing how rushes to judgment and media frenzy and entrenched narratives and or agendas can absolutely result in disaster for those who find themselves in the crosshairs, even nimble, sharp-minded, innocent people, much less old football coaches who are unaware of what's happening around them. So I highly recommend it. It's called With the Benefit of Hindsight. It goes even deeper than that. And you added a few extra bonus episodes as developments warranted on the end of it. So is it now 13 episodes long, John? It's, it's actually more. It's like 19 now. And, and, and It'll never quick, end. <laughs> well, 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 real quick, I, I know we don't have that much time, but this, I think you're going to appreciate our, our, our currently our final episode. This is, this is mind-blowing, even by the standards of this case. So you know who Sarah Ganim is. Sarah Ganim was yes. the person who allegedly broke this story as a 23-year-old Cub reporter, Penn State graduate. Boy, the media loved her narrative. She's you know, semi-attractive, and she's a woman, a Penn State grad, bringing down the corrupt – Penn State football uh, program and the God of Joe Paterno, and she wins the Pulitzer Prize. Pulitzer right, Prize, no, Pulitzer, Pulitzer Prize. Prize winner. That's a big okay. one, right, John? Right, that's as big as it gets in what she was doing. Let's let's follow what's happened as quick. This is the Breeders' Digest version of what has happened since, and this is going to knock your socks off. So, so she's a 23-year-old journalistic savant. She then gets a job at CNN, where she now has a she has celebrity, credibility, unlimited resources, and a Pulitzer, <laughs> and a Pulitzer. Every, everybody in the world will take her phone call. Her career is set. Right. She does not write a book about the case. No book about the case, which is impossible in this day and age. And then for five or six years, she's at CNN, and she does nothing. She is known for two things, having a, thrown, a, a snowball thrown at her while covering a live uh, snowstorm in the Northeast, where, by the way, they put all their terrible reporters on snowstorms, you know that, and, and for giggling on the set with Wolf Blitzer while covering, ironically enough, a horrific abuse video. Those are the two things she's known for. She does not get renewed. She leaves the business. She um, goes into teaching, and then on the 10th anniversary of the story, this is amazing, 
10th anniversary of the story last November, she suddenly comes out and announces with great media fanfare that she has a new podcast that is the story of the first known death related to Jerry Sandusky. Now, within five minutes of investigating this person that she's referring to, I knew this was complete and total BS. I put out a video on Twitter offering her $10,000 to the charity of her choice just to interview me on her podcast. It's called The Mayor of Maple Avenue about this story. It is, without getting into the details, it is complete fantasy garbage that actually proves how absurd the whole case is. So I, I put that out there. Well, guess what? That was in November. She had put out a first episode of about 20 minutes, basically a large trailer for this podcast. Huge media coverage, the whole bit. Since that moment in November, they have never put out another episode. They <laughs> so that never was it. put out. That was it. They never. No, they, no, but here's what happened. They got a cease and desist letter from a Sandusky attorney, and I believe, and by the way, this was backed not just by her. It was backed by her newspaper that she worked for at the time. It was backed by the Pulitzer organization. It was backed by Meadowlark Media, which is run by the former head of ESPN. These are big wigs backing this thing, and I believe they looked at what she did and realized, oh, my God, We're gonna get, we can't defend. Yeah. We're going to get sued. We're gonna, we, are, we cannot defend this. They kill her podcast. They're still lying to this day. I had a media reporter on this where they, they were told, wait till March. We're, we're going to put it out in March. <laughs> well, it's now uh, mid-April. Still nothing. It sounded like two right. more weeks to, to flatten the curve. Yeah, right, um, exactly. So the, the a, book, the, the, the obligatory, obvious book to write, which you would have every right to do so, that's a million-dollar lottery ticket, right, to write the right. book? That's a million-dollar book minimum, right? Right. And she just and she chose not it. to reason, for no Well, the reason why she can't. Here's that's oh. why the this is the key point. The reason why she can't she, is because if she did, if she told the truth, it would blow apart the entire narrative because all she was, she was not a reporter, she was an activist for the prosecution. Right. The prosecution was desperate. Right. They looked at her as a young uh, uh, very easily manipulated, ambitious reporter who didn't know what the hell she was doing, and she did their dirty work but for she, them. But she would have and, legally been allowed to write the book and profit from it, correct? Of course. Okay. Of good. course. I know there's some laws. Yeah, there's some laws against that in crime cases where you can't profit, now, right? No, she could have easily done it, yeah. but but if she told the truth, it, it would have destroyed the whole case. Well, she could have. She, she could have kept. She could have kept. She could have written a nice gauzy piece. A book that was still full of the things that are not true, yeah. and she chose um, not to. Well, well when she's done interviews, just to be clear, when she's done interviews about how she got the story, it's like a thirty-second soundbite that's boring as hell. I had good sources. I mean, that's yeah. that's her that's her entire explanation. Anyway, I mean, yeah. So the point the point is, but 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 wait a minute. How is it that the media has just ignored this? I've I've sent this because to media reporters media, everywhere, and no one cares because the media is wholly corrupt from roots to tree leaves it's it's awful yes. and and you yes. you help expose that in a way that is very meaningful and people should understand that they need, need to understand that um and then if you want to go further you want to go the full distance uh you can hear john's case uh that there is not a sufficient legal case against sandusky i can't say john i'm, I'm ready to go all the way there but certainly on the joe pop front i have issued mea culpa saying i'm embarrassed that i got swept up in the mob mentality on Joe Pop back when this thing broke because it was a perfect storm of a rush to judgment on all fronts. 
Well, good for you on that, and I can assure you, I don't want. I, I never wanted Jerry Sandusky to be innocent. You know that. Yeah. I, I, this is the worst thing that's ever happened in my life and my career. I would bet every dollar I have, everything I have, that I am right about this, and it's not close. And people who listen to the entire podcast invariably, with ninety percent plus efficiency, come to the same conclusion. Yeah. And they can uh, they can say, "Oh, I can't believe this guy." Well, look at the work. John Ziegler has done. Look at the voluminous, exhaustive source after source after source. You've done the work on it. So if you still disagree after you've listened to his side, at least respect he's done the work. I actually read a piece recently, John, in which, you know, the expression TLDR, too long, didn't read. There's another acronym, someone in, in who writes and covers stories for a living, but, you know, is despicable of the media, said there's another syndrome called DRS. Don't read shit. He said reporters have DRS syndrome that routinely they'd ask him, so what does this ruling mean? And he would reply back with judge's opinion attached. And they'd go, yeah, yeah, but what does it mean? DRS. Don't read shit. Because they're lazy and uh, they, they don't have a lot of time. And they also don't want to read something that might challenge right, their right. preconceived narrative. That's right. the worst thing you can do. Exactly. I mean, I mean, it's it's unbelievable what's happened to the news media in the last twenty, thirty years. It is unbelievable. All right, you're a you're a golfer. You're a golf fan. Uh, you have followed Tiger Woods' amazing career. I'm sure you have thoughts. What do you think of the Masters? Well, just to be clear, I'm I not only just I'm not only just a golfer. I mean, I, I, I've played in three national amateur championships, won club championships in four different states. I worked for the PGA Tour. My apologies. I to, I, no, 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 no. Just so your listeners <laughs> I know, know that I'm I not know. completely full of crap. I, I, I uh, actually ran a world-famous Tiger Woods website back in the day. You ran his um, website? No, no, not his website. Oh, a, one hey. of the most famous Tiger Woods websites uh, back in, in his heyday. And, you know, I was on I was on his bandwagon since 1994, back when he was still uh, a junior and an amateur. Were you ever I, off I, of it is what I'd love to know. Oh, yeah, I was off of it. Oh, yeah, I've been are off you back, of it a couple of times. Are you back on it? Well, no, I, I love I <laughs> love the guy. No athlete has ever given me more joy. It's not even close uh, than than Tiger Woods. Um uh, you know, I, I, I think it, it's amazing what he just did. It, you know, from a human standpoint, it's an unbelievable story. Uh, I, I think it's being a little bit uh, misinterpreted in that I, I don't personally believe that there's a real chance that he's ever going to you know, win another major championship. And I don't think, I think he's only going to play a couple of tournaments a year. And I'd like to know, you know, everyone says, well, you know, look at that. I mean, you know, with, with reps, he'll get back to where close to where he was. And, and eventually he'll win his 83rd or, or, or tournament or, or his 16th major. And I'm like, well, where, when, yeah. I mean, he's, he's 46 with the body of a 66 year old. Um, we saw what happened over the last two rounds there. And granted, Augusta national is incredibly difficult to walk. I believe, and I think you'll agree with this, that he thinks in his mind, get me to St. Andrews. I can win there. It's totally flat. I love the course. I've win there. I won there twice before. It's a major championship. Half the field will choke. If not more, um, if the conditions are right, I got a shot. And by the way, I don't disagree with that, but between now and St. Andrews, we, we saw what he said to Sky Sports. I, how do you get ready for St. Andrews when you might not even play the PGA? And it's clear he's not going to play the U.S. Open. So you might play one tournament 
from yeah. April April to July. Um, I'm sorry, I don't care who you are. You need reps. I mean, the perfect example of this was his putting. You remember in his in his pre-tournament uh, press conferences, he kept he kept saying, "Well, I can chip and putt, and chip and putting is no problem for me." Well, his putting was, was horrendous yeah. at Augusta National because you cannot, it is not possible <laughs> to practice your putting in your backyard. I don't care how great your backyard is under the conditions of the Masters at Augusta National. Well, not, it, not only it, that, it, but it takes hours and hours standing on right, your feet, and, 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 and which you, wears sure on you your saw, legs and your I'm back. Sure you saw, I'm sure you saw his warm-ups because they were on live television for the Masters. He was he was warming up like it was a uh, um, a two day member guest. I mean, he, he had five or six putts, you know, walk over to the ring. And I understand why he's doing it. He's trying to conserve Serve, yeah. his bo- his body. But you can't compete against the best players. This, this isn't a hobby. This is this is <laughs> this, these are real athletes in this day and age. This, this is this is an incredibly difficult endeavor, and you might be able to fake it for a day, a day and a half, and he did a hell of a job. By the way, I predicted within a stroke what he was going to do. I said before the tournament, he'll shoot 71-74, make the cut, and finish 28th place. He shot 71-75 and finished 47th. Yeah. I mean, so – and I, I, I am rooting hard for him, but I just – and, and I realize he's kind of a Rasputin-like figure where, you know, can't he's, kill him. He's been re- you can't kill him. So everyone thinks, well, he's going to come back. He's going to come back. If Look, if he does it, it's the, if he gets anywhere close to winning a major championship, it, right. it is beyond uh, and, and the most remarkable achievement uh, in, in my lifetime. But I just – I really don't see it. I, other than maybe St. Andrews, he's got a shot. If yeah. everything went, goes absolutely perfectly, the weather has to be perfect, uh, um, everything has to go exactly right, uh, he's got a chance there. Because, by the way, the greens, as you know, there are slow. Um, and, you know, putting is not nearly as important there as it is right. at Augusta National. And the course rewards – specific detailed strategic knowledge to avoid all the bunkers and all the humps and the hollows. It is a thinking man's course, much like Augusta. So I, I agree. I think he's got uh, his best chance there, but the chances are still not in his favor. One last thing on Tiger Woods, and this is a media thing. I was extremely hard on the golf media for letting his crash go meekly into the ether and what actually happened on that morning. I said, it's embarrassing that not a single one of them has pressed him to say, what happened? This was your third time you woke up on the pavement or in the ditch, unconscious. This is a pattern. What the hell happened on that Saturday morning? Nobody wanted to touch it. He pretty much brushed it off with, that's my personal life, and then lied saying it's all in the police report when it wasn't all in the police report. I could not agree with you more, and I think this issue is really emblematic of what we talked about earlier about how broken the news media is. The golf media, which I've been part of the golf media, uh, various forms of my life, is, is it, the rest of the news media on steroids. And the reason why the golf media is so pathetic and so terrible is that it is so incestuous. There is, there is, and, and, it's, and every single person in the industry relies on Tiger for their livelihood. Right. And he can destroy any of them 
in a moment. And by the way, the gig is so cushy. It is such a cushy gig to oh, be yeah. in the in a elite golf media person. No one wants to do anything to threaten the gig because and, if you, as a white male, you lose that gig, you're done. There's no place to go. There's only one golf channel, right? Every there's only there's so few of these jobs. And, and so you didn't Tiger once go at Peter Costas when Costas was critical of some swing changes, just swing oh, yeah. changes. And it yeah, kind of put I mean, Peter Costas in the cooler just a bit in regards to well, Tiger. It, it, Tiger has that kind of power. And let me give you, you know, I agree with you that it's absolutely insane that we know nothing about that accident. That accident, which took place in, a, in a, an area I'm very familiar with here in Southern California, it, that, that, that crash made no sense. By, by the way, why is he rushing? No, no one's starting uh, that day without him. Okay. So, so wh- wh- why is 90 he miles an hour, no breaks, no skid marks across a median and two oncoming lanes and launched himself into the trees. And why is he even driving? I mean, well, he can't I said that right. I don't know. I do think COVID could have played a role. I'd like to ask that question. <laughs> Did COVID play a role because you didn't want to have a driver, right? I mean, I, I mean, it, that's how insane we were back in that time. All right. But, we'll, but I want to add one other thing here. This, and I think you're aware of this. I'm not 100% sure, but I was equally as incensed by, and this is, is, is a very sim, similar situation to what happened with Tiger Woods' Hall of Fame speech, where he, he uh, is able to tell this fantasy story that as a young teen here in Southern California, he would play in, in Southern California Golf Association events, major junior events where he would not be allowed in the clubhouses because of the color of his skin. Now, when I heard that, I was, this is, I went apoplectic because I knew, I mean, knowing the area, knowing these clubs, knowing his history, knowing what a celebrity he was at this time, right. knowing that, knowing this is the mid, this is the mid 1980s. We're talking about the city is being, is being run by magic Johnson it's, and Kareem Abdul. It's not the anti, right. It's not the antebellum South. And you're right. He right. had already been on the Merv Griffin show at five right. years old. And that, and that unearthed footage, which was fascinating of him playing a match against a older teenage girl at a private country club. Not only right. showed him fully welcomed with his father, but he had a birthday cake in the clubhouse afterwards. Now, my right. golf friends will say, but wait, Zabe, he didn't say every course did. Okay, but he said some co- did. Uh, no, no, no. But see, he's not. Why is he never? And, and, and to your point about the media, what should have happened to me? They should have said which ones. Been, which one? Give us, give us right. the name of one of these clubs. We're going to investigate. This is a scandal. There's a, there's a country club in Los Angeles that prevented a young Tiger Woods from going into the clubhouse. Let me tell you what really happened. I think you probably know this. But those tournaments, those junior tournaments, in the summertime were played on Mondays. Anybody who and knows anything about country clubs are knows closed. Yeah. The, the clubhouses are closed on Mondays to everyone. It has nothing to do with your with your skin, and that's by, by the way that's the best interpretation of what Tiger did and said there. I, I would like to believe, as insane as it sounds, that Tiger knows he's lying. If he doesn't know he's lying, that's uh, an illness. But but if he but if he said, as a junior, I couldn't go in the clubhouses while playing events. That's actually true. What's left out is that none of the other kids could, and they couldn't because they were closed on Mondays. See what I'm saying? Well, he said he said it was because of the color of his skin, oh, which okay. he said 
He said, which is more, he goes further than that in his Hall of Fame speech. He says something to the effect of, as was the custom at the time. <laughs> the as custom. If, as if 1980s Los Angeles was 1962 Mississippi. I mean, it's just. It's a, it's a whopper. It's a whopper, but who's going to challenge it, right? Who's well, going to step I, up I and say, I, I, I know, but you've got nothing to lose. Most right. people have something to lose, and so they'll say, wait a minute, that doesn't add up. Well, it's interesting that it was it was not investigated because anyone that would investigate it would have to come to the conclusion that it was BS, and then you're trouble. So, so that's well, one of those. And, and we know the one media stories best unsolved. Well, exactly, <laughs> and we know that ESPN has no problem investigating a 40 year old case at Penn State involving a serial rapist, right? So it's not well, like they can't go back 40 years for what they want to go point. back for. Okay, very good la- point. Last uh, last topic here. So the NBA playoffs are about to begin. Kyrie Irving is going to be able to play for the Brooklyn Nets after a long and stupid COVID fight over his vaccination status. Several players, as I'm sure you know, John, will not be able to travel to Canada to play against the Raptors, including a player for the Sixers, I believe. And I'm just wondering, did Kyrie Irving do enough in his stand, or should he have spoken out more forcefully? Because you got guys like Steve Stricker, who got very sick after getting a booster following the Ryder Cup. Uh, Nelly Corda in Florida just had to have surgery to deal with a blood clot after being boosted. Should athletes be standing up and speaking up more to say, these vaccines are not worth the risk for us? Well, short answer is yes. I don't know, and I don't think anyone knows yet, um, what the real risk factors of the vaccine are, but we know what the risk factors of COVID are for athletes. Right. Zero. Zero. I mean, literally zero. There has not been an elite athlete anywhere in the world that I'm aware of that has has been seriously hospitalized, certainly not been uh, killed by COVID in the last two years. Okay, wait, with one caveat, a number of them have, but they've also been vaccinated and or boosted. So we can't separate out what was it, COVID or the vaccine or the booster. And that's what the vaccine proponents will say. They'll say, no, that was COVID that caused that blood clot. Well, you get into a lot of religious thinking in this because, you know, the <laughs> vaccine people, the vaccine people give, I, I mean, I would love to be uh, uh, someone who, who is able to, to do the, the leaps of logic that they do, that, that somehow sure. the, people who get COVID now should thank the vaccine for making sure that they didn't get it worse. Right. I mean, what, 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 what? That's, I mean, that's the belief. That's the common right. belief. It's completely unprovable, but still, that's what they believe. That's, that's why I call it a religious belief. I mean, it's a, it's a cult-like belief. Um, as far, more directly, as far as the sports thing is concerned, I, I, I know this is a broken record. I blame the sports media again because it's the sports media that from the beginning of this thing, as you know, for two years, I mean, the sports media will take issue with any little thing that's a good controversy. They don't take issue with anything when it guard the COVID, right. not, not, nothing, whether it's the absurdity of no crowds at a Masters from last year, which was insane. I mean, we knew there for was sure some. that outdoor. There was light crowds. I mean, well, you know, virtually I no crowds. It was, it was, I mean, we, there was we no knew. roars, that's for sure. There weren't the roars right. we saw for Spieth holding out and Morikawa holding out, that's for sure. Right, right. right. Well, the, my, my point is that, that the sports media has enabled, and actually gone more than enabled, they have forced every sports organization to be more woke on COVID than even some of these crazy health directors 
I mean, it, be, because they know that the media will, will not support them, ESPN right. being the worst They'll attack the and they'll defender. try to destroy him. I guess my only thing was, and, and I respect Kyrie Irving flushing a whole lot of money over this yeah. stance. I just wish because he's already so hated by the media and he's already so vilified, you're already soaking wet standing in the rain. Go the whole <laughs> distance and be very outspoken. Have your facts, you know, articulate your case to say, look, my risk for COVID is so small it can't be detected. My risk right. on the vaccine is also extremely small. However, a negative outcome on the vaccine is far more sharp and severe and irreversible than merely about with COVID. Therefore, I opt out. Maybe that's too much to it. ask. I agree with you, everything you said, except my standards for behavior over the last two years have gotten so low that it's hard for me to criticize Irving. I know. <laughs> He actually did something I know. Uh, in comparison to the rest of the rest of these lemmings, and um, I, I really believe that sports has performed worse than any element of society when it should have performed the best. Yeah, uh, from the Masters to everything else, it, it was sports that should have led us out of this, and in fact, <laughs> the sports has kept us dragged in it. And I will forever, I will never forgive. Uh, those who have done that to us yeah. and to our children. Amen to that. I, I really thought the NFL and the oligarchs that run it would have been our salvation or the masters who have fuck you money growing out their ears. Instead, right. they were right along with everybody else. And so it goes. It's called With the Benefit of Hindsight. It is now 19 episodes long, thorough, researched, passionately argued. Uh, open your mind and uh, give it a listen. And uh, remember that when you're watching this ESPN crap, if you are, on Joe Paterno this week. Thank you, John. Thanks, man. There you go. I'll end on this today. Elon Musk is aggressively, it seems, mounting a challenge to the ownership of Twitter. He's bought 9% of the company, the largest single owner of a block of shares, and he recently just declined a seat on the board of directors. Some are speculating this is because he intends to buy even more shares to increase his leverage as the single largest shareholder. Now, I don't know how all this works, but it seems like a reasonable theory. Do I have high hopes that Elon Musk could reform Twitter in a way that allows more freedom of expression, diverse thought, and yes, accounts that dare to challenge the prevailing narrative to not be suspended. My answer to that is, it's irrelevant, Your Honor. Because even if he were to be able to make changes, and I've got my expectations set as low as they can be, uh, that way I will not be disappointed. But even if he did change the rules, the problem is that the mainstream media and you know, society in general puts way too much value in what somebody tweets. Adam Schefter has to issue a groveling mea culpa and apology. I listened to it today. I won't play it for you here. It's, it's disgusting. It's pathetic. It's like, oh, my God, really? But look, he's got a $7 million a year salary to defend. He's going to do whatever it takes. What I wish is forget fixing Twitter. It's beyond fixing. How about just don't take it seriously anymore? That'd be great. It'd also be nice if politicians that held office at any level were not allowed to have 
Twitter accounts. And you can say, well, that, that, that's how you communicate with the people. No, I don't care. If you're a dog watcher, you cannot have an account, period. End of story. How quickly then would interest disappear from the political class if they were prohibited by law from having a Twitter account? I think you would go a long way towards de-emphasizing this idiotic platform, which is fun and it does help serve as a quasi-news feed and it's fun to interact with fans who are not jackasses on Twitter. But overall, the juice ain't worth the squeezing and I've got my lowest possible hopes set for Elon Musk in his potential acquisition of the little blue birdie. All right, that is a wrap for today. Thank you so much for listening, downloading, spreading the word, suffering through commercials, crass commercial messages. And I do urge you, if you would like to, to subscribe to the Friday edition, which is commercial-free and usually eh, a little bit better than the regular run-of-the-mill Monday through Thursday, but not always. And if you do subscribe, I thank you very much, and uh, I am humbled by your dedication to my spoken word nonsense. Thanks for listening. Have a great Tuesday, and we will see you next time. Just because the NFL season is now firmly in the rearview mirror does not mean the betting season is over. Oh, no, 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 no. There is still plenty of opportunities to put a little something-something on the games. The NBA, college basketball, NHL, yes, golf. No matter what tickles your fancy, there is still plenty of action to whet your appetite. But just remember, where you bet is every bit as important, if not more so, than what you're betting on. That's why I tell my friends to go to mybookie.com. Oh, but my state just approved it. There's a big DraftKings fan duel, whatever. No, 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 no. Johnny come latelys. My bookie has been ahead of the game for years now. And why does that matter? Oh, I don't know. In a million ways. Better lines, better payouts, less rules. You name it. Plus, you get a bonus with me at mybookie.ag. Use promo code ZABE, Charlie, Zulu, Alpha, Bravo, Echo, and have your deposit matched halfway up to $1,000. Now, make sure you read the rules on payouts regarding bonus wagering. It does require certain levels of wagering to collect your money, but if you just want to bet straight up, you don't want the deposit, you want to make a one-time bet for a million dollars, win it, and then walk away, fine. You can do that as well. That's a free cash bonus for making your deposit. Use promo code ZABE to claim the offer. Bet, win, and most importantly, get paid with my bookie today.